Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Life Oasis podcast. I am Mati Chayn. I am a life coach located in Brooklyn, New York. And I am Chaim Galazer, a grief recovery specialist and photographer also located in Brooklyn, New York. I just want to share a little bit of gratitude at this moment and say that I'm extremely grateful that we're actually here recording this. It's been a while. We were supposed to record this a whole long time ago and we came across many different challenges and I'm just extremely grateful that we're here in this moment recording this podcast. It's huge for me. I also have to say that the fact that this took so many challenges shows how much it meant to us because when something means something to you, you really take on every challenge headfirst. You go through it and I think we both did it and it's incredible that we're just here doing this. So first, thank you for being here, Madi. The first question I wanted to ask on the podcast, I wanted it to be directed at you. I wanted the question to be, what does this podcast mean to you and what do you expect to come out of this podcast? There's something about me that a lot of people don't know, that I used to stutter badly when I was a kid and overcoming that challenge meant so much to me. And these different challenges that literally put me down like really low and I was able to overcome them. I was able to refine who I am and be able to connect to who I am more and more. And that's where I found personally meaningfulness it wasn't a place where i had to get to and say i am here i feel good with myself that's where i want to get to rather the meaningfulness came through the process through working through creating on a daily basis through personal growth all the time growing more and more and more and that's something that i would love to share i think it's extremely important to remember that to remember that life is happening all the time and it's moving forward and I, as a person, sitting right now, recording this podcast, how can I be the best me that I can possibly be in this moment and move forward? It's something that I struggled with for years, you know, to really want something, not just an idea like, oh, yeah, this is a great idea, you know, wouldn't it be great if I had this, but like to actually want it, to embody that will, feel it and achieve it. And it's something that I feel is so powerful to be able to be there, to feel that, to live that, to live to your best. That's something that I would love to gain out of this podcast, to express that sensation. That's awesome. Chaim, what does this podcast mean to you? And what would you love to gain out of this podcast? So as most of you already know, I was featured on the Nishamas podcast sharing my story. And after the podcast, a few people reached out to me telling me that they related to you with what I was saying. And that inspired me because what I did was is I just shared a part of my life intend to affect that many people. I thought it'd be amazing if I could just get one person inspired, but instead I got many more. And when you came to me and asked me if you want to do a podcast, I was like, this is the opportunity. This is my opportunity to reach as many people as possible. And hopefully we could do that together. That is what we're here for. That is the whole purpose of this podcast. And I think that aligns very, very well with what we do as an occupation on our day-to-day lives. As a life coach and you as a grief recovery specialist, it is to inspire. So Chaim, as a grief recovery specialist, what is it that you find that is so fascinating, so beautiful, that you wanted to pursue this career, this pathway, this lifestyle? 
So a lot of people have this misinterpretation that grief is only about death. There's so many other aspects of grief that I never even noticed myself. There's loss of hope, loss of faith, loss of job, loss of communication, loss of even a friendship. And I didn't really know that there were so many. And I never even realized how much I was grieving over these small things because I didn't consider them grieving at the time. So when I got into the course and I was finally healing myself from all the past experiences that I had, I realized how much I wanted to just give it over to other people, help other people. And after I took the course, I was talking to clients, I was talking to friends, and I realized how much I could give over. And that's all I wanted to really do in my life. I wanted to be heard. I wanted to be accepted. And just finding myself as a helping person was the awakening point. And I just wanted to give myself over to as many people as possible and help as many people as possible. And when I started doing that, just the feeling and the encouragement I was getting from my friends, my mentors, my teachers, and my family was incredible. So at that stage when you actually felt like, okay, now I am ready to give over. Now I am ready to share and help and give. What really changed within you? Because before that you were, before healing, but were you quote unquote after healing when you decided that I am now ready? So I believe that the main issue I had before I healed was I did not have any self-love. And when I finally sat myself down and said, what am I missing in life? What is wrong with me? Why am I not getting things I want done? Is it because I don't want them? And I contemplated on it for quite some time and it came down to one fact. I didn't love myself. And if you don't love yourself, you can't love anyone else. You can't give yourself over because you're broken inside. It's like you can't give someone a glass that's already broken. You give them the glass. And when the second I started realizing that I didn't love myself, I just was like, what do you got to do? What, what, what do you, what's holding you back in life? Why do you not love yourself? That sounds like such an easy thing. And I sat there and I worked on it and it took me a long time. And I'm, I honestly think that I'm still working on it. It's a challenge on yourself of do you love yourself? So just to clarify, you said before that you were healed and then you were able to share. What do you mean by that? When did you come to a place where you feel like I am better than where I was before? I am able to share. And before I wasn't able to share, what changed in that process? One of the big changes I made that helped with the process was I would wake up every day and I would say I'm alive. I'm happy to be alive. I'm happy that my emotions are a part of me. Like instead of getting sad and dwelling on my sadness, I would get sad and be like, hey, I'm human. Thank you for letting me know that. And I would thank my sadness. And as crazy as that sound, that helped. When I had anger, I was like, this is me. I'm a human. I'm allowed to be angry at certain things, but why am I angry? And I started talking to my emotions individually as their own entity. And I realized that they're just parts of me that I had to learn to control. I thank them for letting me know that I am human. And I'm allowed to make mistakes. That whole concept of allowing yourself to make mistakes, I think that ties in very well with the topic of self-love that you brought up before that you found that you were lacking self-love. And everyone loves themselves to a certain extent. Even though you say, I hate myself, but there is places where you do love yourself. It could be toxic love. It could be toxic positivity. It could be many things. But there is the element of self-love already within us. And we just have to bring that out and reveal that outward. And what I mean by toxic love is where you love 
the wrong things and the wrong reasons. But it is you. The example that I usually give is self-acceptance for the sake of self-acceptance. And that could be toxic. And I'm not trying to downplay all of the cliches. Just saying, I am good enough the way I am. And that's important because you are good enough the way you are in this moment. What about in five minutes from now? How can you be better in five minutes? Because if you hate yourself right now and say, I suck, then how can I be better in five minutes? If you don't have a bright, positive outlook into where you're going in five minutes from now, then in five minutes from now, it's going to be as bad as it was right now. So that's what I mean by toxic love. You're loving the wrong things for the wrong reasons. Toxic love is the notion that I accept myself for the sake of accepting myself. That's a big one that I tell my clients a lot. You need to accept yourself. You need to accept who you are in this moment right here, right now. That's good, but for a purpose. For a purpose of being better in five minutes from now. For a purpose of wanting to be better. Wanting more. Because if you're loving yourself just for the sake of loving yourself, so yeah, I love myself, I'm good the way I am, I don't need to go anywhere, I don't need to grow, that is toxic love. That's not real love. I think the best definition of love that I have found, the clearest definition of love that I've seen, is the way Viktor Frankl defined love. I do think that it's also loving yourself, loving people around you, loving things, loving your job, loving scenarios. And it's to see the potential in someone else and to make that potential alive within someone, to make him feel that and love that potential as well and want him to actualize that potential. And I think that's what self-love is. Self-love isn't just I'm accepting myself. Self-love is really seeing your potential and wanting to actualize that potential, saying, hey, I know I could be so much better. I know I could be so much more. Why am I not there? I love myself so much that I want to get better. I want to get there. Obviously, that has to come with self-acceptance. That is a big part of it. But also to want more. And I think that's a proper map that we need to create for ourselves. You know, everywhere that you want to go and you're not going to know where you are, you're going to say, well, this, the way I'm going sucks. That's why I think defining your, like creating your map is extremely important. So the map isn't just accept yourself. It's accept yourself to grow, to feel meaningful. And the third part, feeling meaningful is also extremely important, but we're going to get into that soon. I think there's so much more that you could talk about with self-love because there's so many people that have a nine to five job. And they're doing the same thing pretty much every single day. They're going to the office, they're filling out the paperwork, they're doing whatever they do in their day-to-day life. And they find it that they find that their life is just repeating itself. Every day is just a repetition of the day before. And one of the things which I tell a lot of people who tell me that they feel that they're, they're having repetition in their job. The thing I tell people that tell me that they have repetition in their job is, do you love your job? And a lot of the times, it's they don't. They really don't like it. So what are you doing while making money? Then you're not loving yourself. Yes, money is great. I love money. You love money. Pretty sure everyone listening loves money. Mm -hmm. But you got to do what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. Because that is loving yourself. When you love someone else, you want to make sure that you could give them, you could give over as much as possible to make them happy. Yeah, for sure. Now, Let's try to like redefine that picture for a second, right? You love money, so you make money, but you don't love yourself. So the money that you're actually making is, isn't being really loved. 
It's not being appreciated. It's not being used well. You're using that money to you know, get things that'll make you actually feel happy in your life. So you're spending money on things with the money that you made because you love money but don't really love yourself. So you're trying to find other outlets with using that money to love yourself. And then you're just in this cycle of trying to feel love, trying to feel love, trying, and you're loving external aspects in your life and not internal aspects, which means you're not loving yourself. You're not finding the core values that you own, that are yours, that you're passionate about in your life to make you feel love or to bring out the love from there, from those passions, from who you are, essentially. And I think love is all about living from the inward out and not from the outward in. And I see that a lot. A lot of people want to get to a certain place in life and say, okay, here is where I feel love. Here is where I feel meaningful. But by the time they get there, their goal moved a little bit. This place that they're looking for love isn't them. It's something outside of them. And it's not where love is, at least self-love. It's not where real love is. What you just said actually really just resonated with me where you spoke about how money cannot buy happiness. It can buy you temporary happiness. And I realized that when I was younger, whenever I was down and I was sad, I'd be like, oh, you know what would be cool? Let me get the new iPhone. Mm -hmm. I found myself when I was younger trying to replace my unhappiness with random items that would give me temporary happiness. And I would get, let's say, a new phone. I would be happy for a day and a half Mm -hmm. and be like, oh, look, I got this new phone. It's so cool. It's exciting. But that did not give me happiness. And that temporary happiness wasn't even happiness because the fall after it was hard. Mm -hmm. Because I realized that my phone isn't going to make me happy. Mm -hmm. And anything that I would get to replace this unhappiness wouldn't make me happy. Yeah, for a little bit, it did seem very cool and it was exciting. It was new, but it wasn't making me happy. So it wasn't making you. What wasn't making you feel? What was that feeling when you got this new thing and you're like, yes, I have this right now? You felt what? Excitement. You feel excitement. It's something new. Always. A change of scenery is always very, very nice. When you go on vacation, I've seen people go to one of the nicest places in the world and... I've seen people travel to very nice places and absolutely hate it because it's not about the place. It's about you. So if it's not about the place and it's about you, where do you need to be mentally, emotionally, lovingly with yourself? What is, we'll call it, the ideal mindset to be in on a day-to-day life? I would say the ideal mindset is to accept and be happy. Accept what you have because we cannot change our cards we are dealt a certain amount of cards and we cannot change it yeah exactly just as it says in, in ethics of fathers and perkyaves he who is rich is happy with his lot and i personally have lived a life you know where i didn't have so much money struggling paycheck to paycheck but i still lived like a rich person i had this richness this good feeling about myself because i had nothing to do with the money i make it has to do with where i am personally in life And that projects onto the money that I make. And that is actually a pretty good recipe to make more. Because I have seen people who are rich and do have a lot of money and do make a lot of money. And they ain't happy. It has nothing to do with the figure that's in your bank. It has to do with where you are. And in order to grow, 
You need to have that positive mindset. You must have it. Because that will actually make the money that you create through love, loving. And you'll love the money that you make. And that will love you back. That's something that a lot of people don't understand. You keep on projecting yourself in everything that you do. The way you say hello to someone, the way you give high five to someone, the way you say, yo, what's up, bro, and you give them a hug, the way you drink a glass of water, the way you act towards your parents, the way you do everything, whatever you do, the way you work, the way you paint, the way you just do whatever it is, the way you shoot photography, you are projecting yourself into that. And if you're coming from a place of love, it will be created with love, and it will be love, and it will love you back. And I think art is a great example. When you paint a painting, when you're in a place of pain, a place of hurt, and afterwards look at that painting, that pain, that hurt is being projected back to you. That's why it is essentially and so extremely important to create from a place of love. Always. So you will actually feel good with it. I can go into hours about, you know, I can give thousands of examples about projecting, you know, like building something from Ikea, right? You can look back and say, you know, that that was a good thing. You know, like it's actually, you use it well. But then if you create it out of hate, out of pain, you're going to say, I don't give anything about that. You know, that's, you know, but that put me through a hard time. And I'm sure we can find different examples in life that happened to us personally. But there is a thing that I do believe in strongly. Loving yourself and creating from love can be very difficult. At least for me it was in the beginning. And I wasn't even aware of it. I wasn't aware that many different things that I'm doing is projecting elements from my past that I'm trying to correct. And that's actually pretty powerful to think about it for a second. I'm trying to correct my past through acting in the present. And sometimes I'm not even aware of that. And then when I dig deep into it and I sit down with colleagues, with friends, with other coaches, and I speak about it and I actually express vulnerability there. And that's where I think vulnerability is important because you're able to bring out stuff that is actually hard for you personally. But I do believe that having someone by your side, caring about you, loving you unconditionally, wanting you to strive, wanting you to be better is extremely helpful, extremely important, and could definitely benefit you. And that's why I do believe in coaching so much. I personally have a coach. I have two coaches, actually. Because in order to grow, I know that I have to seek help. I have to be vulnerable. But I have to seek help and be vulnerable to the right people at the right time. That's something I actually find amazing. The fact that you are a coach and you admit to yourself that you need help. It's something that I believe a lot of people struggled with. I myself personally have struggled with it where I would tell myself, I don't need help. I don't need friends. I just need to be with myself. And to a certain extent, that was right. I did need to be okay with myself. I did need to love myself. But in order to love yourself, you need to push sometimes to love yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And that could come from your friends, your teachers, your mentors. You could come from anyone, really. And I remember that the first person I ever trusted was actually a rabbi in Jets who just really cared about me. And I remember I opened up to him. And after that conversation, I realized, what am I doing? By not opening up, I'm only hurting myself. And the more that I concealed 
all my emotions and did not talk about them. It was building up into this great big mess. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. And on the first point that you said that I believe that being a coach and having a coach doesn't contradict each other because when I am there for someone else who is vulnerable, I am projecting my own personal growth and who I am to the person in front of me. That actually relates to something I said before. I am in a certain place and I'm projecting that onward. Yeah, I'm in a great place right now and I know I could be better. And I'm projecting that to the person sitting in front of me. And it could be anyone, not even a client. It could be a friend, it could be a family member, even to my wife. I project that. And in order to actually want that for my client or want that for the person sitting in front of me, I have to actually be that. I have to come from a place that, yeah, I am there as well. Let's do this together. We are still human. I would love for you to be that together with me and grow together with me. It's not that I'm better than you. I'm not better than you. I'm here to love, to care, to support, and to listen, and to want the best from the person sitting in front of me. So what do you think is the best advice you could give someone who is bottling all his emotions up and not talking to people? Mm. How, what advice would you give him in order to seek help? Well, the first thing I would say is try to understand what you're trying to bottle up. Fear is there to protect something. It's there to protect a reality that you would love to have, but you're afraid to mess up that reality. And I'll give an example. I was sitting with a group a day before his wedding and I asked him, yo, how are you feeling? He said, I'm feeling scared. I'm like, oh, scared is good. You know, if you weren't feeling scared, then I would think you're a little crazy. Now, that little bit of fear. He's like, no, no, I'm scared that I'll be scared tomorrow and I'm going to want to back out of the wedding. So I say, you know, let's dig into fear. What is fear? You're right now scared to get married. Because you don't want to have a bad marriage. Why don't you want to have a bad marriage? Because you would love to have a good marriage. So because you want something so badly, you don't want to ruin that reality, that potential that you would love to have. And you know that you could have it. And you don't want to mess that up. And that's why you're scared. So where are you going to focus your energy on, I don't want to get married? Or I would love to have an awesome marriage? And, and I think that's in everything. Someone who's stage fright, for example. It's not that he's afraid to talk on stage. It's he's afraid to mess up on stage because he would love to go on stage. He knows that he has that potential within him. I really like what you just said because there are two main factors in that. You said the number one thing to do is identify the issue. Mm -hmm. Sit down and figure out what's causing the issue. Where does mm -hmm. it stem from? Is it a past trauma that I might have or anything like that? Once you figure out the entire issue, you identify from A through Z in the issue, then you can move forward into the healing process. The second thing which you said, which I happen to really love and admire, is messing up is okay. It took a while for me to finally realize that messing up is okay. And messing up is part of human nature. Mm -hmm. It's something that you go through, it's something that I go through, something that probably most of our listeners go through. We mess mm -hmm. up. But the one thing that we have to know is if we mess up, are we going to get back up? Or are we going to stay down? Mm, I agree. Yeah. And I think a great, a great activity that you can do to that, just to add on what you're saying, is to write down your fear and say, why? Just add the word why and then write and why and write. And I think that's the second tip that I was going to give. And I'm sorry for cutting you off because there's two things that you just said. But the second thing is being able to express that fear, understanding it and having it in your 
in your head, yeah, that's great. That's amazing. That's phenomenal. But how do you let that fear out? How do you express that fear outward to actually express that vulnerability? And I have found writing very powerful. And I've found that there are different methods in writing. One of the greatest ones that I actually learned from one of my rabbis back in yeshiva when I was 17 years old is to write down what I'm feeling, what I fear, and then burn the piece of paper. So no one else will be able to see it. And I know that is, but I actually let it out. And that's a great thing. And so the two tips that I gave is A, trying to identify that fear and B, writing it down or finding other ways that you can actually just let it out of your head. Many times there are things in our head that is just rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling and just stuck in our head and it's just, and you want to let it out. The whole point of knowledge is to share it. And I have seen many clients of mine. I sat down with them and I just wasn't opening air. And they were just talking for 15, 20 minutes. And they came up with answers to questions that they've had rolling around in their head for so long just because they're able to let it out, to talk about it. And they say, you know what, this is the first time I've actually said that out loud. And it sounds interesting because now they're hearing themselves. So I think it's the same thing with writing. Each person has their own outlet. Something you could record yourself, you could write it down. So those are the two tips that I would actually give is A, identify the fear. And B, find an outlet to let it out. I love that. Writing it down. And I would even say some, if you don't want to, don't even burn the paper. Keep the paper. Because in the, sometime in the near future, you might want to look and go, look what was getting me down six months ago. Look how much I've grown. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think it's also the opposite. It's not only the negative things. It's also the positive things. And I've seen that. And it's actually pretty cool. Just today, I was looking for something in my house. And I found an old notebook of mine of different ideas that I had of writings. And I was going through these writings like just before. I'm like, wow, like these were theories and thoughts and ideas that I had five years ago. It's pretty cool to see, you know, like where I was back then on a positive note and how much more I have grown. It's not only seeing like, oh, I was bad back then and I'm good. I think writing down is extremely important because you're able to express yourself in the moment. I'm looking back five years after that, you're able to say, wow, this is where I was. I remember that. Look how much I've grown. And that is so satisfying. And I think it relates to something that I said before, which is part of that map is living a meaningful life. What I meant by that was celebrating your accomplishments, celebrating those achievements and clinging on to that and admiring that. And sometimes through writing down, that's the easiest way for you to remember that. So from this, I want to challenge all the listeners to something that I've recently been doing. Every single day, you could write it down on your phone, on a piece of paper, however you feel comfortable. Write down one thing you're grateful for. I've been doing this right now for three months and I read every single day from the beginning and then I put at the end what I'm grateful for today. And the reason I read from the beginning every single day is because I remember that three months ago, that is what I was grateful for. But now look what I'm grateful for. Wow, that's powerful. I'll definitely try that. And I challenge if you do do this and need any help, feel free to reach out. And if you do do it, please let me know how it went and any experience that you had. That's another subject that I love. And I think it also connects to self-love and it connects to a lot of things in life. Challenging yourself. But when it comes to challenging yourself, and I'm sure you have plenty to say about this, 
Knowing how much to push when challenging yourself. Knowing your limitations and knowing how much you can push. And I think that's a fascinating thing to talk about. Because if you're at the gym, for example, and you're right now lifting 20 pounds, you're not going to say, oh, right now I'm going to lift 50 pounds. You're going to say, wait, hold on. Let me try lifting 22 pounds, right? So you're going to add one pound on each side. But you have to go now and look for each one of those pounds, right? You know, you go over here and you find one pound over here, right? You put that on one side and then you look for another pound over there and put that on the other side. And also that balance between putting one pound on each side and finding that proper balance in knowing how much you can actually lift. That is knowing how to challenge yourself. And you try that. And you push yourself a little bit out of that comfort zone. Just a tiny drop. And that's why I think challenging yourself is so important. And knowing how to challenge yourself is so important. And also, while challenging yourself, one of the biggest things to remember while challenging yourself is one day at a time, one challenge at a time. When I was first becoming religious, I took on everything. I was trying my hardest. I was doing my best. But somehow I kept on crashing. I kept on falling. And I went to my rabbi and I said, what am I doing wrong? I'm being the best I could be. What am I doing wrong? And he's like, well, you never did anything. And now you're doing a hundred things. How are you going to do a hundred things? One challenge at a time. Understand, know your limitations and appreciate your limitations. And appreciate that this is part of your growth, part of your life. It's part of the appreciating your achievements and celebrating your growth which is a vital part of the map that I explained before. Self-acceptance, self-growth to live a meaningful life. Acknowledging, appreciating, accepting, and saying, yes, I was able to do one thing. That one thing that I did was awesome. Now, let's go to number two. Yeah. Now let's go to number three, four, five. And I mean, I even see that when... I even saw that when we were working for the podcast. In the beginning, we were like, let's do a podcast. And we were like, okay, let's sit down and just record it. And we were just like so overwhelmed with so much until we sat down and we're like, okay, in order to make a podcast, let's make a list. What do we need? We need A, B, C, D, E, F. And sooner or later, we got A done. Then we got B done. And yeah, it took us two and a half months, I believe. Yeah. And look at us, we're sitting here doing exactly what we wanted to do. And it's a lot better than the first time we tried. <laughs> the first time we sat down, if we would have recorded the podcast, then we'd be all over the place. But now we're, we're yeah. doing it. It was one challenge at a time for us. And each time we achieved something on that list, we felt so good. And like every time we met, like, okay, we did A. That's awesome. Yes, we accomplished A. We still don't have a podcast, but we still accomplished A. And it was so good. It was so satisfying. Like... We're one step closer. And that is also very important. Yes, when you complete it, celebrate. Be happy about it. But always remember, there's still the rest of your list. And that is such a big thing with life is we always want to improve ourselves. Yeah. Always and continuously do we want to prove ourselves. And the hardest thing about improving yourself is the only way to improve yourself is to be out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. On that note, I have experienced something. Sometimes I am grateful for something. And for me, this is a huge life achievement. See, yeah, I achieved this in life. That This is what I'm so proud of. And for someone else, that could be something so eh. I was sitting down with someone and I said, what is one of your 
greatest achievements in life? And he said, finishing high school. Not to many people that can be like, well, that's part of the routine, bro. I already did college. Was finishing high school. But for him, that was a huge accomplishment. And he felt so stupid to telling people like, yeah, you know, I finished high school. I'm proud of myself for doing that. You don't know what other people are going through. So when someone says, yo, I just did A and I'm happy, be happy with him. And guess what? If you are happy that you did something and someone else isn't happy for you, with you, and celebrating with you, it's okay. It doesn't mean that your accomplishment, your achievement doesn't mean anything. It just means that he doesn't get you. You don't really matter to him, like really matter to him. And there are going to be people out there that are going to say, oh, it's not that big of a deal to do that. Maybe for him it's not, but for you it is. You're two different people in two different places in life. You know, it's so beautiful. As one of my favorite psychologists, Dr. Jordan Peterson says, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. And I find that very important, especially with what we were talking about. A lot of time you walk down the street, you'll be like, wow, that guy looks happy. What am I doing wrong that I'm not as happy as him? Yeah, I completely agree. And there's another quote by Alan Watt that says, you are under no obligation to be the same person you were five minutes ago. I really believe that. And a lot of times you walk down the street, it's like, yeah, but five minutes ago I was better. Five minutes ago you were in a different mindset. Five minutes ago you were happy, and now you're not happy. Is that bad? Is that good? I don't think it's either bad or good. The only thing I think is bad or good is comparing yourself to who someone else is today. That someone else didn't go through the same life challenges that you went through. Didn't wake up the same way you did. Didn't go to sleep the same way you did. They're they're in a completely different world, a completely different universe, a completely different mindset than what you are in. And personally, one of the things that for me means a lot and actually helps me to grow is understanding that people have their own challenges. There's this great guy who I always admired him. I really did. I, I always admired him. But at one point, I realized that he went through so many challenges in life. I'm thinking, no, I, I don't want to go through his challenges. I would never want to be in the place where he is in a negative way. And I believe that all of the negative things that happened to him in his life is what made him so great. So the question I ask myself is, am I willing to go through all of that pain and, and negative challenges to be like him? Would I be able to handle all of these challenges that he went through to get where he is? And the answer is probably not. The challenges that I have are for me. And I do believe that's where judgment disappears. Judgment disappears when you come to a place and say, I am who I am and he is who he is. And I appreciate him and admire him for who he is. And I appreciate and admire myself for who I am. We're two different people. And I'm not going to judge him for the bad mood that he is in. I'm not going to judge him for the sadness that he's going through through the grief that he is going through. His grief and my grief are two completely different things. He sees the world in one lens, I see the world in another lens, and I respect that about him because I respect myself. Something I realized is that when you look at another person and you see a great attribute in him and you say, hey, I want to be just like that. So you have to find that attribute that he has that you admire and love and say, what can I do to gain this attribute? That would be the healthy way to compare yourself. Yeah, I agree. When I was becoming a grief recovery specialist, I had so many people in my class that had the same kind of losses that I did. But we mm -hmm. all dealt with our losses extremely differently. And the reason for that is, is we're all 
wired differently. You can't expect one thing, one person to work the same way as another person. Mm-hmm. You have to, we're all unique. And then when it comes to grieving, especially, it's what we do at our weakest. That phrase that you just said, it's when we're at our weakest. It's, it's true. And I've, I've witnessed that. It's not only, you know, a lot of times we see people when they're at their best. And there's performers, or you, know, you see people when they're at their best. You don't see them when they're at their worst, when they're at their weakest point, or at their lowest point. And you think, oh, his life is so good. His life is so good. His life is so great. But it's not really. It's not what you see. It's, there is so much more beyond what you see. In order to actually see that, that other person needs to be vulnerable. And I think that's why people are scared to be vulnerable. People don't want to be perceived as something negative, something bad, something weak. But we do have that weakness. We all have that weak point, that low point that we hit. For some people, it's that self-loathing, self-doubt, or whatever it is. It's that weak point. It's, that, it's when you hit that weak point. What do you actually do at that point? Do you feed into it or do you appreciate it? I think that has to do with what we were saying in the beginning of the podcast. Individualizing and identifying your emotion. They're a part of you, but they're separate parts of you. And I think that actually ties in very well with something that we spoke about earlier, which is talking to your emotions. And you brought up so many good, powerful points and how important and healthy it is to speak to your emotions. Not only is it just healthy, it helps you identify who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. And it shows you where your real strength lies. Because you have to own who you are. As we said before, you have to be happy with your lot. If you do not own who you are and you're not confident in with who you are, that's the first issue. Right there is the first issue that can lead to so many other problems. So how does talking to your emotions fill that hole of really owning who you are? Well, to give you an example, I used to be very self-conscious in crowds and the way I spoke to people. And that made me a very quiet person. And when I'd be in big crowds, I just would sit in the corner and just be myself. And then one day I was having a conversation with a life coach by the name of Moshi Khanin. And he told me, why don't I talk to my emotion and just deal it, deal the issue out with my emotion? We were talking about a totally different issue. And I was like, wow, that's a great idea. And I got home and I started, you know, writing down my emotions. I feel angry. Okay, what caused my anger? A, B, and C. Okay, is there a better approach to this anger that I'm feeling? And from there, I would slowly make progress. And I started realizing that that's who I am as a person. One day, I tried to approach the issue of me being quiet in the corner. That it came from so much more than what I thought it was. And I realized that this is not who I want to be. So I started working on myself and I got out of my comfort zone and I spoke to people. And speaking to people sounds so easy to some people. But for me, it was so scary. It was frightening to just be like, hey... How are you? It was weird to be the first person to start that. And I finally started owning who I was. And it just changed my entire approach and outlook to life. And this isn't something I did as a child or something I did in my teenage years. This is something I did when I was 21. When you started this whole exercise of talking to your emotions, I see the first day, the second day, did you see the progress? Was it easy? I'll be honest with you. The first few days, I kind of felt silly. I really thought it was kind of funny. I'm like, what's up, anger? Okay, this is super weird. (laughs) Oh, yay. 
So what pushed you to actually continue it, to actually stay on this regiment? I finally, I finally started doing the actual work. I started actually saying, hey, why do I feel this way? What am I doing about me feeling this way? Do I want to feel this way? Yeah but, yeah, but until you felt comfortable, what motivated you? Because right now, in this moment, let's try to get into this mindset for a second, all right? You're in this moment, you're writing down your emotions, and you feel silly with yourself. What made you do it the next day? I think it was the will to want to improve myself. Mm. The self-love that I was finally giving myself wanted me to improve myself. Sometimes we tend to forget that in life we're just meant to continuously improve. And we get comfortable in this zone, I'll call it, that we're in. This part of our life that we're in. We get very comfortable with it. And when you get comfortable, you finally kick off your shoes, you lay down in the bed, and then boom, you're sunk into that bed. You don't want to get out of it. And I did not like that. I did not like the fact that I was getting comfortable with who I was when there was so much more room for me that I needed to improve. That's fascinating because clinging onto the bigger picture, onto that will, is what pushed you forward. The way you approached it wasn't from an evidence-based notion saying, oh, until now it sucked. So now I'm going to stop doing it. But there was a belief-based thought, a belief-based notion that this can be so much better. This is going to be awesome. And I just got to push through because it's something that I really want. Something that I know that I want. Something that I know that I'm lacking and I would love to have it. I would love to be there. And I find it fascinating because there's so many times in life where I say, you know what, I suck. I failed in the past. So I'm not going to try more. I'm not going to want to put in any effort because it's worthless. And then 10 minutes later, I think, wait, but I know that I can do something. I believe that I can be so much greater than what I am right now. So what is currently stopping me from achieving that? So it's not just understanding your will. It's embodying that will. We have something in the grief recovery method called STIRPS, short-term energy relieving behavior. Mm -hmm. So STIRPS for some people are gambling, drinking, smoking, online shopping, etc. And on some days when I was talking to myself, I would find myself going back to these STIRPS, which I used to have because I was dwelling on the past. Mm. I was dwelling on certain emotions that I didn't want to let go certain anger I had towards people, certain sadness I had, and it, it just, it was clouding my head. It all came down to one fact, that I had these terms, and a lot of these terms are from the past, and I couldn't differentiate dwelling and learning from my past, because there's a very big difference between dwelling and learning. When you dwell in the past, you sit in sorrow, and for some people, it becomes enjoyable to sit in their own sorrow. Certain times in, when, when you see babies and they're happy in their dirty diapers, how could, how could you be happy? You're, you're in your own dirty filth, but it's warm for them. It's comforting for them. Yeah, I could totally relate to that. I've seen it in myself and I've seen it also in other people where we do something or I do something that is that creates short-term happiness, but it destroys long-term productivity. And it is so scary to admit that to yourself, 
say, yeah, what I'm doing makes me feel good, but I'm in action being unproductive. I'm purposely doing something that is destroying a future that I would love. So what would you say are the signs to look out for in unproductive productivity? It's to ask yourself, if I was the most productive in the top point in my life where I would love to be, that place where I would love to be, what lifestyle would I live? What things would I do? What things wouldn't I do then that I'm doing now? Oh, if only I had all this money, if only I got a raise, if if only I got successful, if only I had a car, I would go and do this, I would go and do that. It's not about, in order to get to this place of when I have, it starts from doing it right now. So all of these actions that are temporary fulfillments, that are temporarily giving you happiness, are these things that are going to create who you want to be in the future? What kind of lifestyle are you living now? What kind of lifestyle would you love to live five years down the line, 10 years down the line, six months down the line? On the topic of self-love, what is some of the challenges that you face internally and how do you overcome them? Well, at times I think I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. And sometimes I feel like I'm a fraud. Like what I'm doing isn't good. And I think a lot of it comes from evidence-based thoughts saying, hey, look, I didn't accomplish this. I just had a conversation with someone and I don't feel good through that conversation. I must be a bad person. And it's a lot of self-doubt. And it's a lot of self-judgment, a lot of self-criticism. And it, and it comes. Sometimes I lay down and i like, yeah, you know, I really would like to do this, but I didn't get there yet. So maybe I'm not worth it. Maybe I'm just not good enough for it. What do you tell yourself when thoughts like that pop into your head? Well, there's two main things that I tell myself. A, I'm bringing up all the evidence of all the bad things that I did. Let's start bringing up evidence of good things that I did. I did accomplish this, and I did accomplish that. Wow, look at all these beautiful accomplishments that I did. Look at all these beautiful things that I actually achieved in my life. Let's focus on those for a couple of minutes. Why am I only focusing on the bad? And I think it has to do with something that you have to, that you have to acknowledge the good the same way you acknowledge the bad. And that's a big one. It could be hard for someone because I think in our nature, we try to always think negatively about ourselves. And it's pretty negative, you know, to say, like, oh, I, I messed up here, so I'm probably not good. Yeah, but you were successful in every other topic besides for just that. And something that I do with my clients is we actually get into the whole dance of why does that little mess up mean so much to you? Why does that little thing that you just messed up mean that you're not a good person? So that's the first thing I do. And then I come to a belief-based thought which I look really deep inside me and say, could I actually achieve it? Do I have that energy within me? Do I have that power? Do I have the ability within me to achieve this goal? Forget about the evidence. Forget about everything else. Right now, where I am in this place, in this moment, in this time, do I have this power within me to achieve this goal? That it's hard and it ain't easy and it's gonna take effort. Can I do the hard work? Can I grow on the ladder? If I really put 100% of my effort, will I be able to get there? Usually the answer is yes. And to be honest, I don't put in 100% of my effort. I put in around 80, sometimes 70. But I'm grateful for that 70% that I put in. I say, wow, today I put in 70% of my effort. And I write that down. Every good thing that I did today reached my goal. 
And then I asked myself, where was I lacking? Where can I get to 71% tomorrow or 70.5% tomorrow to reach my goal? To always go a bit further. And this is what we were speaking about before. And it's so important. It's to understand your limitations. Understand, okay, today I only did 70%. I'm grateful for that. I accept that. Now, where can I grow? Half a percent more. Half a percent. It's not a lot. Today, I ran a mile. Tomorrow, I'm going to run a mile point one. I ran a mile, I ran a mile point one. Tomorrow, I'm going to run a mile point two. And always try to grow a tiny drop more. One thing that I used to do for myself when I would get these negative feelings, I would always say, I don't control everything around me. I don't control my past. I don't control my future. The only thing I control is my present. And I control the way I think. You could be in a room which is environmentally bad for you. But if you're thinking properly, then yeah, it's cool. There's a saying, think good and it will be good. And it means that sometimes everything around you could seem broken. But if you, if you look at it as a battle that you will win, you already lifted your success rate in winning that battle. Because it's all about the outlook. Absolutely. And one of the tools that I remind myself when it comes to what I can or can't control is something that Viktor Frankl says. He says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. To know what you can control and what you can't control and appreciate that. Say, hey, something just happened to me. I just got a flat tire. What I can control is how do I respond to that flat tire? So right there, between that flat tire happening to you on the highway and you fixing that flat tire, how do you react? And that is where you strive and that's where your growth is. Knowing what you can control and you, what you can't control, understanding your limitations and understanding where you can expand your limitations. So as a grief recovery specialist, what tip would you give to a friend of yours that is going through grief. You see a friend who is grieving on the street, you meet him, you can tell that he's grieving, even though he's trying to hide it. What tip would you give him? I don't think I would give him a tip. I would just try to be the listening ear mm. because that is something that's so important. And a lot of people sometimes look for the best advice to give someone when a lot of the people are not looking for advice. They're looking for someone to hear them. Sometimes the best thing you can say is, I hear what you're going through and I'm here for you. If you ever need, please reach out. One of the things that I've seen help people in a suicidal state is just being there, mm -hmm. being next to them, staying next to them, listening to them. Because sometimes that's all we need as, as an emotional human being. We need someone just to hear us. We don't need someone to validate us. We don't need someone to be going through what we're going through. We just want to be heard. And if you're hurting, reach out to someone. And if you have someone else around you who is hurting, be the ear for them. Just listen to them. Listening is so vitally important. And I've seen that with my friends. 
One of the things I learned as a coach is to let go of this notion of how am I influencing this person and how is my influence affecting this person. And I'll be honest, you know, as any person, sometimes I feel like what I did was not really good. It wasn't the best thing. You know, I try. I gave, I shared some love. I told someone, yo, I believe in you. That person doesn't light up at that moment. Like, yo, he believes in me. Wow, great. Now I'm going to change my whole life. It takes time. And time is a big factor over here. You can't always see the result at the moment. I have no idea how a good word that I tell someone or a piece of it, you know, like an interesting thing that I told someone or a story that I told someone five years ago could affect him today. And if we think about it, you know, there are certain things that do take us and do live with us from when we're younger and it only actually has an effect on us when we get older. For example, maybe something that your grandfather told you or something that your teacher told you six, seven years ago. Like, hmm, I actually live with that. Hasn't put, hasn't, you know, gotten into effect, you know. Letting go of the need to see results and believing that what I'm doing and the love that I'm projecting is the best thing that I can do in this moment. This is the light that I have right now to shine. How can I shine this light? How can I be the best me in this moment? How can I express love to someone? How can I really care about this person without needing to see results? Can I completely change him? Probably not. But can I contribute something to this person that'll allow him to believe in himself a bit more, to allow him to find within him the tools and the capacity to grow? That's what I should try to do. If it's just seeing him and giving him a hug, seeing him say, yo, you're awesome, giving him a compliment, saying, yo, remember something that you told me two years ago? Still sticks with me. It's actually funny because when I first met you, you told me something and I recently told you that it still resonated with me. When we first met, we were in Mexico. I was completely not religious and you were outside and you're like, yo, I don't believe in God. God's the worst. And you started giving me every reason why I should hate God. <laughs> and I was like, God has a point. And then you're like, but if I think about it, I should really love God because, and you started listing reasons and you used to say, I should respect God. And you started listing reasons. You should implicate God. Into, I should implicate God into my life. And you started listing reasons. And I was like, wow, that was amazing. And I was talking to you, I think three weeks ago. And I was like, Mati, remember when we first met what you told me? And it was just like, that's something that stuck with me. I mean, we weren't even that close we didn't really speak from when we first met until now mm -hmm. i think it was a solid four or five years yeah that we just didn't even keep in contact but i always remember that little part and i think that's in that's an important thing to realize as a person you could say something so small and it would it would be so significant mm -hmm. to another person that it could stick with them for five years without even talking to you the effects that we have on people it's so incredible that sometimes not even when we tend to change people, do we help them? Yeah. Some, it even comes to show that sometimes even when we're not trying to help people, we could be helpful. 
So we'd like to thank you for joining our podcast today. And in every podcast, we have two things that we'd be asking our guests. Being that today we do not have guests, I'm going to ask Mati, and Mati will then ask me. The first thing is, we're going to ask a simple question of, what are three books you would recommend to the listeners of our podcast? So the first book would be Toward a Meaningful Life by Simon Jacobson. Phenomenal book, meditation on every single stage in life, every single scenario in life. Very eye-opening, very mindful book. Second book that I recommend is Leadership from the Inside Out by Kevin Cash. It's an amazing book, speaks about being a leader. Leadership speaks about authenticity. There's quotes all over the book. It's a really cool book. Definitely recommend that book to read. The third book that I'd recommend was actually a book that I'm reading right now. It's called The Anatomy of Peace, which talks about the mindset that we should be in in order to achieve peace. And many times we are creating scenarios which are counterproductive of achieving peace. And it speaks about that. It's a great book. So Chaim, let me ask you, what are three books that you would recommend our listeners to read? So the first one I recommend is Awareness by Anthony DeMello. Great book. The second book I would recommend is 12 Rules for Life by Dr. Jordan Peterson, who I have recently quoted in our podcast, and Mati and I are huge fans of him. And the last one I'd recommend is Mindset by Carl S. Dweck. Why do you recommend all these three books, and what do you find so empowering in these three books? So I'll answer both questions, actually. When I finished all those books, I felt like I was ready to make a change and I was ready to get stuff doing based on the information they gave me. Awesome. Monty, why did you recommend your three books? Because when I read the first two books and actually I'm reading the third one right now, it gave me so much insight into how to be a bit more productive with myself. And it allowed me to see myself from a different perspective to want to grow. Because many times in life, I would love to grow, but I just don't see it yet. You know, I'm stuck in this circle and I only know what I know. And this helped me expand myself so much to want to grow more. Then the last part of the podcast is something we'll be doing at the end of every podcast. And I find it quite fun. We're going to ask five rapid questions. Being that there's no one here, I'm going to ask them to Mati and then Mati will ask them to me. They are five random questions you have to answer with the first thing that comes to your head. Mati, are you ready? Yes, go. Okay. Mati, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Chocolate. What is the best compliment you've ever received? That I'm awesome. Nice. What would your parents describe what you do for a living? Talk to people. What's your favorite kind of Danish? Cinnamon. If you could have a cup of coffee with anyone, past or present, who would it be? Carl Jung. Nice. Chaim, are you ready for your rapid questions? I am. Let's do this. Let's do All this. right. What was your favorite subject in school? History. What was the favorite trip you've ever taken? Mexico. Who's your favorite comic book character? Thor. If you had $10 million tomorrow, what was the first thing you would buy? A building. If you would write a book tomorrow, what would you write about? Healthy mindset. Yeah? Yeah. All right. I think that's the five questions. All right. Guys, thank you so much for joining. Follow us individually at on Instagram at Coach Mati. That is Coach Mati with a yeah. Y, not an I. Yep. And at Chaim GRM. On Instagram.